welcome to the PathMig Psychiatry for Primary Care podcast. Hi everyone, welcome back to our podcast. Today we're joined by Kate Brady, our Team One in Palo Alto, one of our fantastic psychiatrists here to talk to us about mood stabilizers. Kate, thank you for joining us today. Happy to be here, thank you. So we're talking today about mood stabilizing medications. What would make you think about a mood stabilizer as opposed to an antidepressant? So I traditionally use mood stabilizers if I think a patient has bipolar disorder. And um, that is something that it can be tricky to diagnose, but in general, um, I would use a mood stabilizer for that subset of patients. And the mood stabilizers I traditionally use are Depakote, Lithium, and Lamictal. I sometimes also use a mood stabilizer if a patient has unipolar depression, but that's usually after I've gone through the traditional antidepressants, so the SSRI group, the SNRI group, and then if they're still struggling with depression, I might think about augmenting with a mood stabilizer. So you mentioned three mood stabilizers. Let's start with Lamictal. What would make you think about Lamictal as opposed to the others? I really like Lamictal for a lot of patients, um, but more often I use it for patients with depression when they're already on an SSRI or an SNRI and I wanna augment with Lamictal. Lamictal is a good mood stabilizer, but it really does well in terms of targeting symptoms of depression. The downside about Lamictal is that it takes a while to get to a therapeutic dose. So we traditionally start with 25 milligrams, then after two weeks increase it to 50 milligrams, kind of double up every two weeks, and I always shoot for a dose of 200 milligrams as a therapeutic dose. Sometimes we can get away with less, but that's sort of my rule of thumb. So if you think about it, every two weeks it takes about two months to get to a therapeutic dose. And that's the downside about Lamictal. The reason we go slow with Lamictal is that we were worried about something called Steven Johnson syndrome, which is a rare but serious rash that can occur in the soft mucosal membranes. It's less than 1% of patients that actually develop this rash, but it would be something that we would want to warn the patient about and monitor for. But Lamictal can help in terms of targeting symptoms of depression, even when an SSRI has not been effective. I sometimes also use it for patients who have bipolar disorder, but in truth, I think it's better at targeting symptoms of depression, and it's not as effective as some other mood stabilizers like lithium or Depakote in terms of preventing symptoms of mania. And you mentioned that dosing 25 milligrams every two-week increase. Does that apply to children as well as adults? So in kids, I always start low and go slow. So in terms of Lamictal, we could start at 12.5, then go to do that for two weeks, and then go to 25. And, you know, like I said, if they're tolerating it, we can continue upwards. But I think less is more in finding the lower dose to target the symptoms. So if they're doing well on a lower dose, keep it at that lower dose. Less is more in terms of kids. So you mentioned uh, lithium as being better for preventing episodes of mania and for treating mania as well. Tell us more about lithium. So I really like lithium. I think lithium gets a bad rap in the community just based on stigma, um, but I think lithium can be incredibly beneficial for patients. 
in my experience, patients are resistant to start lithium, and there are some downsides to lithium, and those being that it can be hard on the kidneys, hard on the thyroid, especially after years and years of use. But these are not things that sort of just pop up out of nowhere. We monitor lab work, we look at the TSH, we look at the creatinine, we monitor these levels. It's not gonna be sort of overnight that we would see those thyroid or renal symptoms having issues. It kind of takes time and it's something we monitor for. I like lithium because lithium is one of the few medications in psychiatry that does have anti-suicide properties. And so clozapine being the other, clozapine is not something we're going to talk about today, but um, lithium is good in that regard. The other reason I like lithium is that in a lot of research studies, we know that it is neuroprotective. So when they look at rat models, they see that the neurons in the brains of rats who have been on lithiums, those neurons were protected and very few other medications in psychiatry can actually demonstrate that. The other thing about lithium, like I said before, is that it is a good medication to prevent mania. So when we have patients with either hypomania or full-blown mania, that usually is my medication of choice. But that does not mean that we wouldn't use lithium in a patient with unipolar depression. So if somebody has depression and they haven't responded to the traditional SSRIs or SNRIs, then we might augment with a low dose of lithium. Um, and when we think about dosing of lithium, we really are looking at sort of the lithium level. Lithium level. Tell us more about that. So in terms of lithium level, if we're thinking about depression and augmentation, I'm less concerned about the actual level. Um, if I had to say, it would probably be anywhere between 0.3 and 0.6 if we're augmenting an antidepressant, whether it be an SSRI or an SNRI with lithium, maybe 0.3 to 0.6, but really there's no rule of thumb. Um, we're just using a small dose of lithium to see if we can target the symptoms of depression. That's different than if we think somebody has true bipolar disorder. In those cases, we're striving for a level of 0.8 to 1.2, and I always think just remember the, the number one as our goal level for lithium in those cases. So how would you dose lithium in the meantime while you're waiting for those blood levels? Let's start with that unipolar depression for augmentation. Sure. What would your dosing be like? So it depends on the person, the level of symptoms. But if I have somebody who's very petite and has been very sensitive to medications, I might start very low. So like 150 milligrams to 300 milligrams, depending on the person. And I would likely do lithium extended release, that dose, 150 to 300 at bedtime. And I always check the level five days after I've started the medication because it takes five days to reach to steady state. If it's a patient who has full-blown mania, then obviously I'm going to use a much uh, larger starting dose to see if I can get control of those symptoms. And again, I kind of think about the size of the patient. If they're a large uh, man who has a healthy renal system, I might dose 450 twice a day, but really more traditional starting dose would be 300 twice a day. How quickly would you increase the dose? So I check the lithium level in five days, but it does take two to three weeks for the lithium to kind of kick in and have an effect. Um, so usually I see patients back in the office in about two to three weeks after I've started the lithium, but I'll know where the lithium level is before then, like I said, five days. 
Um, unless, of course, there's any safety reasons, then I might see the patient back sooner. So why would you get the level at five days if we don't expect it to work for three weeks? It takes five days to reach steady state in the system, and we want to make sure that the levels aren't too high or what we call lithium toxic. Um, so again, if the levels are above 1.2, that's considered toxic, and that can be hard on the kidneys and other organs in the body. It can be intimidating to learn how to use lithium and start using it in your practice. What advice do you have for our primary care colleagues? So what I would say is don't be afraid of lithium. I think lithium can be a real game changer, especially when SSRIs or SNRIs have not been effective for a patient, regardless of whether we're talking about depression or bipolar disorder. And whether or not you have a patient with full-blown mania in your office or really profound depression, to be thinking about lithium. And there's nothing wrong with starting low and going slow. If you have a patient with full-blown mania, you can always refer them to the emergency room as well. So you mentioned earlier that it can be hard on the kidneys. Is there any way that we can mitigate that? It's a good question. So when we think about sort of kidneys and lithium, one thing I always tell my patients is I don't want them to be on NSAIDs. So things like ibuprofen, Aleve, those medications, they compete in terms of going through the kidneys, as does lithium. If they can use Tylenol, that's a much better option. The other thing I think about when I think about lithium and the kidneys is if you use immediate release lithium, so not the extended release, that can be easier on the kidneys long term. Um, sometimes patients need the extended release to have better control of the mood symptoms, but that's not true of all patients, so I always try and start with the immediate release option at bedtime. Is it important that it's at bedtime? Yes. Uh, giving the immediate release lithium at bedtime actually is more protective to the kidneys than if you were to use it during the day. You also mentioned a third mood stabilizer, Depakote. Can you tell us a little bit more about Depakote? Yeah, so Depakote is probably my third choice in terms of mood stabilizers. Reason why it's not sort of the first two, lamictal or lithium, is that it's a little bit challenging in terms of side effects. So weight gain can be a common side effect with regard to Depakote, and I do see that more than with lithium. The other thing that about Depakote is I see people complain of hair loss a lot more, and for, for those two reasons, patients struggle to be on it long term. And the third reason I think about Depakote is, you know, if I ever have a female who has the potential to have children in the future or wants kids in the future, I always worry a little bit about neural tube defects in Depakote, and it decreases fertility. Not to say that lithium is without risk either, but those are some things that I think about when I think about Depakote. So given all of that, what are some situations where you would use Depakote? Sure, so if I've had a patient who's been on lithium and we see changes in their thyroid or creatinine, then I might switch to Depakote, that could be a reason. Other times is if people aren't getting good mood control on lithium, I might augment with Depakote. That's something that we sometimes need to do. It's rare, but that can happen. Other reasons could be if a patient has a bias towards lithium or lamictal and is not interested, we might talk about Depakote as an option there too. How do you dose Depakote? So again, depends on the size of the person. If we're dealing with a kid, it would be a low dose, like 250. 
if they're sort of a petite person, maybe 500. And if it's a full-grown man who has uh, fluoride symptoms of mania, 2,000 milligrams per day. So again, it, you know, 500 to probably 1,500 would be my uh, usual response to that question. Is there a specific time of day you'd recommend people start Depakote? I traditionally start Depakote at bedtime just because it can be sedating. So we've talked about, you know, the three main mood stabilizers. Are there other mood stabilizing medications that may not be labeled as mood stabilizers? Yes. So there are a lot of other medications out there that we commonly will use to help with mood symptoms. The ones that come to mind are Abilify, which is a second generation antipsychotic. And that one is newer than a lot of the other ones, but we use it a lot, especially in teenagers, but also adults with and without bipolar disorder. So for depression as well as bipolar disorder. In teenagers, I would start a very low dose. So depending on the the teen and the symptoms, I might start as low as one milligram to two milligrams and go up from there. Um, And if it's an adult, I might start a little bit higher. The dose for bipolar disorder with Abilify is higher. So those low doses we can use to augment if they're on other medications. But if you were using monotherapy Abilify, you're going to be at a higher dose. What's the dosing for adults? In terms of the dosing for Abilify, I always try and start with a lower dose, so near from 2.5 to 5 milligrams, and then go up from there. Um, usually, I try and do less with Abilify just because they, it does have a potential for weight gain, and that's a, a thing that many people will want to stop the medication for. But in terms of dose range, you can get up to 15, even 30 milligrams if it's a severe case. People with bipolar disorder can have a lot of anxiety. Is there a specific anxiety as needed you'd recommend that can be mood stabilizing? Yeah, you know, a couple come to mind. Um, One of my favorites is gabapentin. I'm sure it's used a lot in primary care settings for other reasons, but we do use it in psychiatry. And uh, I traditionally use 100 milligrams three times a day as needed for anxiety. You have a lot of room to go up from there if it is effective for patients. Another one that I think about sort of for as needed in terms of anxiety um, or even agitation related to bipolar disorder is Seroquel. So on really low doses, anywhere from 25 to 50 milligrams, you're acting a lot on the histamine receptors and it can be helpful in terms of reducing anxiety or agitation. And again, you can use it, you know, Q4 to Q6 hours as needed. What would you think about starting benzodiazepines? Benzos are tough because a lot of patients want them, but I think it's a very slippery slope. So in general, if I do start a benzo, I always tell the patient that it is a short-term option, so no more than two weeks, and I quickly try and get them off the benzos. My rule of thumb is to say, let's not use a benzo, let's try all the other things first, but there are a few cases where I may use a benzo, but I always tell the patient it's a two-week long process. So in that case, how many tablets would you dispense in that prescription? Very few. So literally enough for two weeks, and I always tell the patient that we're using this to get you on a different medication, and this is to be used while that medication kind of kicks in and has an effect. Thank you so much for going through all these medications with us. 
any clinical pearls uh, generally about treating bipolar disorder you'd like to share with our clinicians? In terms of pearls, you know, the thing that I think about is don't be afraid of lithium. I think it can be very helpful for a lot of patients, bipolar or not. The other thing is, you know, it's very difficult to diagnose bipolar disorder, especially if we're thinking about bipolar too. And don't be afraid to treat somebody who you think might have bipolar too with an antidepressant. Worst case scenario, we unmask a hypomania and then we know what we're working with and we can treat that accordingly. If you do have someone with full-blown mania, refer to the ER and in the meantime you can also use Zyprexa which can be very helpful in addressing full-blown mania. So if I started an SSRI and a mania came out of that, I could give them some Zyprexa and send them to the emergency room. What about a hypomania? Would you still use Zyprexa? Yeah, I would. I would probably try and use a low dose, anywhere from 2 milligrams to 2.5 milligrams. You can go up to 5 milligrams if needed. Um, and it wouldn't be a long-term agent. I would definitely want to try and transition them or simultaneously start them on a mood stabilizer to effectively control their symptoms long-term, but it is okay to use that sort of to get the symptoms under control. Anything we'd be looking out for, you know, if we do give them Zyprexa for hypomania and we're following them in the clinic? Absolutely, yeah. If you prescribe Zyprexa for a patient that you think is hypomanic, we definitely would want you to see them back sooner rather than later. One, to make sure the hypomania is getting resolved or under control and not worsening. But also, if you're treating the hypomania, we also want to monitor for um, the opposite, which would be a depressive episode. And those do tend to come after hypomania or mania? Yes. Thank you so much for your time today, Kate. I really appreciate your coming and talking to our primary care doctors. My pleasure.